0: Lord, we do welcome you here amongst us. In fact, it's the other way around. You welcome us into your house. Lord, you are here. Your presence is always here. And so we thank you for inviting us into your house today to worship you, to honor you, to sing our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, how that must be bittersweet for you, because when you rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, they were singing Hosanna, but a week later they said, crucify. And Lord, sometimes in our own lives, we're like that. On a Sunday, we sing Hosanna, but on a Monday, we deny you we do things that hurt you and do things that hurt ourselves and separate us from you, Lord forgive us for we're not so very different from those people that shouted Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and then shouted crucify Lord for all the mess in our lives for all the dirt that we drag into our lives, forgive us and cleanse us again that we may stand before you pure and holy, confident, not in our own goodness, but in your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We thank you and we praise you. And Lord, as we look into your word now, speak to us again today, reveal your truth to us and challenge our hearts and our minds to serve you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Before you take a seat, why don't you welcome someone to church today? Tell them how good they're looking. Okay, but you have to be honest. You know, you're in church. But, you know... You said I meant to pour it in to wash Forever And rejoice in your great love stop right Uh, go find someone if you're right next to someone and I want you to ask them who is the most godly person that you know right it's not allowed to be anybody in this church today okay don't just say you or and no husbands and wives none of that kind of kind of right but apart from your husband or your wife who is the most godly person that you know that you can think of You don't have to have met them, but the most godly person that you can ever think of. Jesus is not the right answer here, okay? You can't use that one either. Okay? Just ask someone. Everybody. You're the most godly person. Oh, I didn't say you couldn't say yourself. That's true. <laughs> who's the most humble person? No, joking. Okay, anybody else? What did you say? I will pray for you in a bit. Yeah? Okay, we'll do that. That's okay. Right. So, who's the most godly person? Why? Why did you choose that person? Whoever it was. Why did you choose them? Sorry? Okay. Thank you. Right, I can hear now. Somebody's always praying. What else? Somebody that's always patient. What else? There. They listen to God. Good. What else? Kind and compassionate. What else? Someone that's always there for you. You've got to do stuff as well as listen. Listen and put it into practice. Yeah? Very true. Some people listen and don't necessarily put it into practice. Others put it into practice and don't listen. It's a combination of the two that makes them godly. Today we're going to look at what it means to be godly. We're going to go deeper as we've been looking at together over the last number of almost months now. And Second Peter says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been looking together at what this really means. See if this is going to work. Oh, I have to switch it on first. That helps. doesn't help. Ah, there we go. First, if we want to go deeper, love has to be our motivation. You're never going to get anywhere unless we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If love is not the motivation, we cannot go deeper with God. Then there are things that hold us back. There are barriers that hold us, that that keep us at the surface. I was uh, praying for someone just just, uh, the other day, and God gave me this picture of, of the, like a boat that was sailing off into the distance. But it, as, tr- as it tried to sail away from the shore, there was this big rope that was still tying it up to the shoreline. These are the, the sins and the things that hinder us. It's like we want to get deeper with God, but if there are things that hold us back, like as soon as that rope reaches its maximum, as, as we keep struggling, we're not going to get anywhere. And so we have to cut the rope, cut the things that hinder us and the sin that entangles us. We throw them away and then we can go deeper with God. This passage that we just read, he's given us everything we need to go deeper. It's not like God, we have to keep asking God for things because he's already set it apart for you and for me. Everything you need to go deeper is already yours. It's been gifted to you. And we access it through his promises. Anybody still going with the uh, 60 promises? Yeah, good. Keep reading them over and over and over. Keep learning those promises. Because through those promises, as we pray those promises of God, the scriptures of God, we have access to all those things that he set aside for us. But then we add to our faith goodness. Goodness is faith in action. Just as Jenny said, We can listen to God. But if we don't put it into action, that's what goodness is. It's that faith, that trust we have in God, but it's it's living it out in a practical way. And then, whoops, knowledge. We add to that goodness, knowledge. Knowledge is seeing the world through God's perspective, putting on God's pair of of lenses, his glasses, if you like, to see the world as he sees it. We add to that self-control. And self-control stops us from doing the wrong things, and it keeps us doing the right things. So there's a, a kind of a two positives to it. It's like a boundary around us that, that ensures that we carry on doing the things that we need to do and that we don't mess up and don't go into sin and to hindrances again that are going to entangle us. Then we add perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to thrive in those harsh environments. It's the ability to, to grow and be beautiful, not just in the easy moments, not just in the good soil, but in the desert land, where it's harsh around, where it's, it's difficult. But in the midst of that, God enables us to flourish and to grow. That's perseverance. We keep on going. And God will show his goodness in that and his love and his grace and his mercy. But then it says, add to that perseverance godliness. These are kind of like rungs on a ladder. We're gradually going up or going down, going deeper with God. And so we add to that perseverance godliness. Now, what is godliness? Well, we kind of had a little bit of a look at that already. Godliness is really this, taking God seriously. Someone said it means having the same feelings, the same attitude, the same heart's desire that God has. That's what godliness is. It's taking God seriously. It's it's saying I want to have that same mindset, that same heart God that you have for the things around you. So how, how do we grow in godliness? Well, the first thing we need to do is in Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. If we want to grow in godliness, then we need to have that same longing, that same thirst for God. Our thirst has to be there. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? Where you're just kind of parched and you're desperate for water. Uh, My son said one of his friends, when he was in uh, university in in Sheffield, decided to do a a marathon run, and he didn't take any water with him. He was just training, training on the route. He got so thirsty on the way round, he ended up drinking out of a puddle by the side of a road. That's how thirsty he got ended up in hospital because <laughs> don't ever drink out of a puddle by the side of the road, okay? But that's how thirsty he was and he saw this water that was there even though it was grimy and dirty and he was so thirsty he just got down on his hands and knees decided to drink. That's the kind of level of thirst that we need to have for God. It says the godly person is content in their relationship with God. So there's We love our relationship with Jesus Christ, amen? It's it's amazing. So we're content in that. But we're never satisfied with our present experience. We always yearn for more. We want more of, of what God can give us. We want more of that relationship. We're never satisfied with just how much the relationship is. You know, the problem is in relationships that they never stay the same. They don't never stay just as they are. If you invest in a relationship, it continues to grow. If you just try and coast in a relationship, what happens? Two people just start pulling apart. It's just the way it is. They never just carry on the way it's always been. And then you can just keep on going. And so if we don't thirst for God, if we don't have that attitude that says, you know what, Lord, I love you so much, but I want more of you. I want to know you more intimately. I want want to have more experience of you. I want more of you in my life. If we don't have that, then we're going to just gradually drift away from God. We need that thirst and that yearning for God. You see, there's a difference between mediocrity and greatness. A guy called Erickson said that if you want to become great at anything you need to spend 10,000 hours doing something. Have you heard this one? The 10,000 hours rule. Some people say it's rubbish. Others say it's true. 10,000 hours, he equates to this. He says, it's 20 hours a week for 50 weeks of the year for 10 years. So 20 hours a week for a whole year, basically. You get two weeks vacation for 10 years. Then you will become proficient in that. Now, think about that in your relationship with Jesus Christ. How much time do I spend thirsting for God in a week? How much time do I actually spend doing something about thirsting for God in my week? You see, the problem is many of us coast through life. We come to a service on the Sunday, and by Wednesday, the things of life have just come in, and somebody says, Oh, how was the service on Sunday? Yeah, it was good. Well, what, what, did, what were they talking about? What did Ronnie talk about last week? Um, no, it was really good. Um, yeah, uh, I can't remember. Why? Because we're kind of coasting through life. We coast sometimes in our relationships with others. We coast in our relationship with God. And then we wonder why we're not going deeper in him. There's an amazing hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You know that one? On which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost, and pour contempt on all my pride. You know the last verse of that? It says this, "Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That is godliness. Godliness is saying, I look at you, Jesus, and what can I give? I give my soul, my life, my all. I want to go deeper with you. I have a hunger. I have a thirst. Help me to go deeper. So, how can we do that? How can we go deeper? How can we grow in godliness? First thing is, we love what God loves. For God so loved, what did He love? The world, the cosmos, it says in the Greek, that He gave His one and only Son. So, how does God treat the world? How does God love the world? Well, he gave his son for it. He died for it. He nurtures it. He loves it. So how can I demonstrate that same kind of love that God has for the world during my week? How does how I treat others, how I treat creation, reveal to other people really my love for God? Well, how many of us just casually throw things away when we should recycle them? How many of us think about what we buy sometimes? Do we go for the cheapest or do we go for something that is sustainable and protecting our world that God created? How do we react when we see the news of Charlottesville and Barcelona and things like that that's going on in our world. What do we do? How can we show people the love of God? You see, God so loves the world that he died for it. And if we want to be godly people, then we need to love the world in the same way that God loves the world. The whole world in its widest form. Creation that God looked at at the beginning and said, This is so good. Then he created humanity and said, This is very good. Do we hold the goodness that God sees in the world in our hearts? And do we show it to others? How do we treat the world? How do we treat one another? Do we love what God loves? Second thing we need to do. Oh, I think I've gone past. Is to care how God cares. We love what he loves, but we show that love in action. We care how he cares. Psalm 103 As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. How does God care? What does it say? It says he's compassionate. He shows his love in practical ways. That's how he cares. He's gracious. He's willing to die, he's willing to sacrifice himself for us, show us his grace. He's slow to anger. When something's wrong, he doesn't just burst out and say, this is wrong, I'm going to deal with this. This is... No. He has patience. He keeps that self-control. And he keeps his anger under control. He abounds in love. He doesn't always accuse, even though he has an opportunity to accuse us. He doesn't do it. And he doesn't harbor his anger. He doesn't let the sun go down on his anger. He forgives. He doesn't treat us as we should be treated. He forgives us. He's compassionate. That's what the Lord is like. But if we are to be godly people, that is what we should be like too. We should be able to say, David is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love. David won't always accuse. David won't harbor his anger forever. David won't treat people as he thinks they deserve. He won't repay them for for things that they do to him when he feels aggrieved. David will continue to love. David will continue to forgive those he needs to forgive and ask for forgiveness from others when he needs to ask. David will have compassion just as the Lord has compassion on him. Now take David out of it and put your name in. Is that you? That's what it means to care as God cares. Can you put your name in there? Where? Where can you tick it off and go, actually, yeah, I can see myself there, but in these things, hmm, that needs work. How can we do that? We need to care as God cares. You know, the hard thing is, it's so often we react in situations. Somebody cuts you up and you're driving your car. What do you do? What goes on in your heart and in your mind? Lord bless them. They must be in a hurry. I take it by your laughter. That's not quite what goes on normally, you know? Somebody does something nasty to you. What, what, what goes on in your heart? What goes on in your mind? What happens? Let me show you a really short video. I think some of you will have seen it before. I haven't seen it for a while, but watch this. You know, to care as God cares, sometimes we need to stop and reflect and think about the story behind the incident. The story behind the person. You know, that's what separated Jesus from everyone else, wasn't it? He looked at the story of that individual. There was a woman with bleeding, came and touched. He stopped, why? Because of the story. There was a woman caught in adultery and he, he'd get down beside her, why? Protected her, why? Because he knew the story. The woman at the well, he knew the story the man with leprosy he knew the story the man that was blind he knew the story the paul at siloam that we or a bethesda that we looked at last week he knew the story you know jesus looked past the individual to the story to the person and that's why he cared as he cared that's why he went past the norms broke the barriers that were normally there and showed the love of God in those situations. And we need to learn to stop sometimes, to stop our natural reactions and just to stop for a moment and consider the situation as Jesus would consider it. What does he see? How would he respond? How can I care As God would care in that situation to that individual. That's risky, but that's what it means to be godly, to care as He cares. The third thing is this we need to hate what God hates. You know, God hates things. We don't often talk about what God hates. We talk about what he loves because that's nice. But there are a number of things that God hates. There's a list of seven of them. Do you know where you find it? Anybody? Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven, that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. We don't use the word haughty anymore, but that means proud and arrogant. You know, people, when you look down on someone else, that's what it means. God hates that. He hates a lying tongue. Uh-oh. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. He hates feet that are quick to rush into sin and into evil. He hates a false witness who pours out lies. And he hates a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Seven things the Lord hates. And we need to hate, basically, sin. All these are sin. All these Thai people, all these Hold them back, all these things destroy and separate. Arrogance and pride separates one person from another and stops the ability to serve. A lying tongue just criticizes and, and, and seeks to bring someone else down or boost ourselves up. Hands that shed innocent blood again, it separates, it wants to destroy, it wants to pull apart. Hearts and minds that devise wicked things. Let me let me just think about this. Let me just I I can get ahead if I do this. So what if it tramples on top of them? All these things, all these things seek to crush and to, to pull down and to rip apart. And God hates sin. He hates anything that will separate people from his love. He hates anything that will destroy and pull down others. He hates what the enemy tries to foster within each one of us. What do you think God was doing in Charlottesville or in Barcelona? Weeping. Weeping for the destruction and the terror and the pain of his people, how can people stand like that and just want to destroy and pull down and break? What do you think God sees in Syria and in Iraq? He's there weeping for his children, which everything around them has been destroyed. And they're hanging on to life by a threat. God hates sin. Because sin can so easily reduce what God has, the blessings of God that he wants to pour in our lives. He forgives it. But the scars of sin, they stay with us until we meet him face to face. And we need to have, if we're going to be godly people, We need to have that same heart that God has. Not just for the good things, but also to flee from the devil. To flee from sin. To run away from it. To actually hate it wherever we see it. We go into that situation to bring the opposite. We don't just stand back and and allow it to happen. But we say, what can I do? How can I go and pour the love of Jesus Christ into that situation? That's what Jesus did. Where he saw division, where he saw conflict, where he saw separation, he went in to bring healing and wholeness. We need to hate what God hates. And lastly, we need to do what God does. We love what he loves we care how He cares. We hate what He hates. And we do what He does. Galatians 6, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is called in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does God seek to do? He seeks to nurture us. He seeks to lift us up. He seeks to give us his blessing. He separated. He set aside everything for us. And he wants us to have it all. He says, I want David to have everything I've separated for him, everything I set aside for him, every blessing from the storehouses of heaven, I want it to be his. And so I'm going to work, the Lord says, to restore him. I'm going to work to nurture him. I'm going to work to enable him to have access to everything. And we, if we are godly, need to work at that in other people's lives too, as well as our own. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is where we started. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind and with all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. God chooses to use you and me to carry, to support, to nurture one another. He says, I'm going to use my children to help my other children reach the fullness of what I have in store for them. I'm going to enable them to to help them to restore one another with gentleness, to nurture them, to build them up, to carry their burdens when it's hard and they they need support and encouragement. He's given each one of us the privilege to work with his Holy Spirit in that restoration and that building of one another. Isn't it an awesome privilege that God has entrusted you and me with such a task? He believes in you that much that he says, David, work with my spirit. And through the spirit working in and through you, you can encourage and nurture and lift up and care and share and bear the burdens of these people. And as he says it to me, he says it to you too. You have a responsibility to one another, to family, to friends to be that channel of God's spirit so that we can show that godliness to others and nurture them so that they may reach their fullness too. It's an amazing privilege that God gives us. How can we grow in godliness? Yearn to love what God loves. Yearn to care how God cares. Yearn to hate what God hates. And yearn to do what God does. I want you to think about yourself. Think about your week that's just passed. Think about the week that's coming. How in this week are you going to love what God loves? How did you do it last week? How can you do it this week? How did you care how God cares? And how can you do it more this coming week? Do you hate what God hates? Does it just chew you up inside and go, I'm having nothing to do with that. I'm going to come against that and I'm going to pour the love of Jesus Christ into that situation? And do you do what God does? Encourage and nurture and help and grow. Let me close with this thought. This is a painting by Domenico Fetti. don't suppose any of you will recognize it. I didn't know it before. But on the, when was it, the 20th of May? I think it was 1719. A German nobleman went into a gallery in Dusseldorf and he sat down and he started staring at this picture. It's a picture of Jesus with the crown of thorns on his head. Can we turn the the lights down? Turn them off and then you might be able to see a little bit better. He's got blood coming down the top of his head and you see the agony in his eyes. And you can't see it, but on the bottom, across the bottom, In Latin, I won't even try and pronounce it, but there's written these words. All this I have suffered for you. Now what have you done for me? All this I have suffered for you. Now what have you done for me? That man, as he looked at that painting and as he read those words, those words went straight into him and he started to cry. And at that moment, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Later, that man would go and start a church that grew into a whole denomination. Later still, he was on a boat going over to the United States. And a young man called John Wesley happened to be on that boat too. And there was a storm that came up and people were fearing for their lives. But in the midst was a man full of peace because he knew Jesus. The man was Count von Zinzendorf who started the Moravian Church in Germany. And through his witness, he led John Wesley to know Jesus Christ. And through him, the whole Methodist church was born. If it hadn't have been for this painting, there would be no Methodist church in our world. All this I have suffered for you. Now what have you done for me? Godliness answers that question people who are godly can say Lord this is what I do for you I love what you love I care as you care I hate what you hate and I do what you do, all for your honor and for your glory. What about you? What about me? Peter says to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self control, to self control perseverance, and to perseverance. Godliness Yearn for the things of God And display the things of God Through your life For if you do that In increasing measure You will be effective You will be productive For the glory of your Lord Jesus Christ Where do we need to grow today? I've written a prayer that we can say together. So let's pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, today I covenant with you to love your creation as you love your world, showing that love in practical ways to both your amazing creative world and your awesome creative people. To care how you care, with compassion and grace and self-control and love and mercy and forgiveness just as you continue to pour into me. To hate what you hate, everything which seeks to separate and damage what you have made beautiful and in balance. And lastly, to do what you do, to nurture and build to restore with gentleness while bearing the burdens of those around me and allowing them to bear mine, so that together we may grow in unity to become strong in you. Lord, give me a thirst to be godly, that others may see how much I truly love you and then give you all the glory. For I ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. And Lord, we do ask that you will grow godliness within us for your honor and glory. In the name of Christ, amen.